I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us in studio today is Ms. Lillian Kluman, who is a Dutch politician with the Labour Party, currently serving as a Member of Parliament in the Netherlands. She was the former Minister for Foreign Trade and Development Cooperation of the Netherlands. Prior to this, she was Chairwoman of the Labour Party. And in terms of recent recognition, she was made a dame in the Pontifical Order of St. Gregory the Great. She was also awarded the Aletta Jacobs Prize for her commitment to and successful endeavours for the rights of women and girls all over the world. Additionally, she won the McAvely Prize for creating She Decides, a global movement for women and girls to safely exercise their rights to decide what they do with their bodies. Also joining us is the Ambassador of the Netherlands to South Africa, Ms. Marissa Gerrits. Welcome to the show. In this panel discussion, we'll talk about some of the catalysts that have been driving women's rights. A month ago in February, it marked the centenary anniversary of the suffragettes with women's right to vote in Britain. And on the 8th of March, which we celebrate today, it's International Women's Day. South Africa has their own independent Women's Day on 9th of August. But the theme for International Women's Day this year is Press for Progress, which seems to be a, a motivation of calling for unity and colleagues in communities to think and act about what they can do for gender inclusivity. Last year's theme was Women in the Changing World of Work, Planet 5050 by 2030. From your perspective, what does International Women's Day mean to you? Well, it's it's a day of celebrations, but it's also a day uh, to uh, remind ourselves that the struggle is not over, the struggle for women's rights. And so it's both, I think, in, we all need to have a party. I think women should celebrate the success a bit more than we're doing. And on the other hand, it's also uh, a day that we can come together and strategize and think about what needs to be done. In the Netherlands, we celebrate it, um, you know, throughout all of the country. And the good thing is it's not only about women. Uh, men and boys are also more and more included, which I think is, is very good. So I always look forward to it. And from your perspective, Ambassador Gerd? Yes, I think it's also a very important day. And it's an international day, so it's also about international solidarity. You can compare notes, you can help each other. But I'm also really inspired by your August month and your own Women's Day that you have here in South Africa, where you commemorate the Women's March to the Union Building so long ago already. And you have a whole month of celebrations, but also of discussions, and you really put things on the agenda. So I think we still need it. So we still need a Women's Day because we still haven't addressed the inequalities. In there you go. I mean, there's a gender pay gap in many countries of the world. Uh, women's potential is underused, which is not good for women, but it's also not good for societies and for the global economy. And there's still uh, violence against women, sexual violence against women is still rampant in many, many countries. And so... This last issue is one that has been more on the table in the past month uh, because of, for example, the Me Too movement. And I think it's really important that we continue to talk about that, how difficult that conversation 
might be. And there's numerous reports which look at various gaps from a, a gender perspective. Uh, the latest World Economic Forum on the, the Global Gender Gap report for 2017 monitors it across four dimensions, economic participation opportunity, education attainment, health and survival, and the fourth one is political empowerment. And when I looked at the data, the education gap seems to be moving well, expected to reach parity in, in 13 years since the, the 2016 study. But the main areas of weakness seem to be in the economic sector and political sector, which at this rate are expected to close at 217 years and 99 years respectively. Now, I, I think legislation and, and quotas are a couple of interventions that can accelerate progress. But what are your views on how we can close these gaps because we won't be alive by the time they're supposed to be closed. The gaps are quite depressing, actually. And um, I mean, even my daughter uh, is not around in 200 years' time. So we really need something to, sp to speed it up, so to say. And my country is really not doing well uh, on that index. Uh, there's um, uh, African countries uh, like Rwanda who are doing quite good uh, and we're lagging behind. And um, that is caused by, I think, one third of our parliamentarians are women. So that's not good. Um, my party, the Labour Party, we have a policy that we want to have as much men and women uh, on the list. So we have uh, um, equal representation. And I always jokingly said, um, you know, we're doing this for the men, actually, so that they still have, you know, some opportunities. Uh, but And some other parties are doing that, but all in all, uh, there's not enough women. And th the thing is, you see that replicated at uh, the, the level of the local councils, and those are... Those are um, ways for people to make career in politics. You start locally and then, you know, you consider that you can do the right things and you might want to be elected on a national level. But if women don't, do not start at that local level, then it will be much more difficult, you know, to also be active on a national level. So I, I really um, promote this policy of equal representation on, on lists of political parties. I was never in favor of quota uh, in, in the business sector. And I have to say that, you know, I changed my mind because it's going too slow. Uh, we tried every strategy that you can think of, and we still have this gap that is, uh, that's too big. So, um, so I, I, I really changed my mind and said, you know, let's do quota. And we've seen it in a few Nordic countries where it's working out very well. And the argument that, you know, women are are not good enough or not trained enough, that's just not true. We have a database of hundreds of women in the Netherlands created to show that there's a lot of talent out there. The challenge is that when people are in their environments, they tend to hire people that look like them, that sound like them, that are the same experiences. And it creates all of these biases but uh, I fully support uh, legislative components and, and also quotas, because I believe that when you get to that point of parity, then the quotas can fall away. But until we get there, women need a ticket to the game. And again, I mean, um, if you look at research that has been done, the evidence says that the more diverse your teams are, yep. the better they perform. 
And so even if you if you don't think that, you know, women's rights are something that you would support, okay, then, you know, do the rational thing and make sure that you have a diverse team. And say it fulfills the bottom line because there are financial benefits. That's it. We've got a lot of issues that still need to be addressed, as you've raised. In your opinion, what areas do you think that we need to do to build on the most to help benefit women in the future? Because these aren't new issues. They're old issues that we're grappling with. But clearly, what we've been doing either hasn't been enough or we've been using the wrong strategies. Hmm. What's most important? Well, two things come to my mind. First of all, I think really equality. Make sure that women go to, to school, go to university, and that we really run this planet together. I mean, we live on it together. Let's run it together as well to make sure that you have women in government, in parliament, in, in the boardrooms. I think that's very, very, very important. And another thing that comes to mind is gender-based violence, which is something which is so appalling, the domestic violence. We really have to do something about that. And also living in your country here in South Africa, I'm, I'm even more confronted with this huge problem. It is a massive problem. We heard some of the narratives yesterday at the, the closure of, of the She Decides campaign, which are quite frankly shocking. And for me, not only about the experiences that a person has to go through when they are attacked, but also what really hit home for me was what they have to confront when they're trying to lay a charge how they have to deal with hospitals, the first, almost the first line of defense seemed to be so wrong and just not, not welcoming and almost making you not want to report an incident. Well, this has been, I think, a, a key problem um, for many, many years. And in the Netherlands, we have been working on this issue for a long time, training police, for example, uh, helping uh, policemen to understand, you know, what a, how difficult it is for women to come in and report that they've been raped or violated. Um, and we try to make the, uh, the judicial system uh, responsive to uh, also to these forms of violence. And what many people do not fully grasp, I think, is that women who have been violated and had to go through violence, they themselves feel shamed. There's no reason for them to be ashamed. But that's something that, you know, society kind of, you know, puts them through. And so if, if people are not able to talk about this, have an honest and frank conversation about it, it will not go away. And so the responsibility that uh, police officers and, and doctors in hospitals carry is huge because they are often the first person that a woman talks to. And if they respond in a, um, in a, in a good way, that is very helpful. But if they don't, it makes it even more difficult for a woman that had to go through horrendous uh, events already. So, yeah, it, it really needs a lot of work and a lot of talking. Mm. And it almost seemed that you have to end up reliving that experience again, first when you're going into the hospital, then when you're presenting to the police, then when you're going to court. Very, very traumatic. MP Plumen, in 2017, you conceptualized She Decides in response to the reintroduction to the Mexico City policy, also known as the Global Gag Rule 
by the new American government, a measure that forbids American government funds to be used by organizations making safe abortions available or open to discussion. She Decides has just celebrated its one-year anniversary with uh, ministerial champions gathering in South Africa, and numerous events were held around the world. Please tell us more. Share the She Decides story. How did it begin? Well, um, real change begins with someone thinking, you know, this needs to be different or we will not accept this. And this is also how She Decides started. When President Trump signed that policy, I knew that it would have enormous uh, negative impact on many, many women and girls all around the world because programs and organizations that provide information about safe abortion also provide in sex education, uh, provide maternal services, and all those services would also be cut off. And so we know that because of this policy, you don't get less abortions, you get more abortions, and you get more unsafe abortions with all negative consequences for for women uh, who need to undergo that. And so I thought we cannot let that happen. And when I uh, went to the, I was a minister at that time, and so when I uh, went to the office on Monday morning and sat with my staff, I said, you know, we have to do something. We should try and create a fund to uh, to get the money that is lost uh, by uh, the decision of President Trump. And when we're talking about the money that's yeah. lost, how, how much are we oh, looking yeah. at here? There's different estimates, but let me say um, it's at least $600 million a year. $600 which is million a year. A huge amount of money. So... Uh, so I said, you know, it's a huge amount of money. I don't know if we will get there, but let's see, you know, let's just start. And so my staff uh, said, you know, maybe you should consult first with other ministers and maybe you should consult, you know, with your prime minister. And I said, no, we're not going to consult with anyone. We're just going to do it. Because if you start talking, some initiatives get better, but I just knew that this one would take forever to be created and we needed a movement now uh, because it was very urgent. And so that's what we did. So uh, that was Monday morning. On Tuesday, we released uh, uh, the press statement. And um, so I, I gave this small interview near my home because there was no other time slot available in the freezing cold in January. In Amsterdam, it's very cold at that time. And so, um, and then it took off by itself. And there was a lot of uh, interest from international media, from Al Jazeera to the BBC. And um, many, many people started calling, emailing, and colleague ministers were also calling me and saying, you know, we want to be part of this. And so the first ones were the Belgians and the Luxembourgs, of course, our neighbors. The first African country to join very, very uh, soon was Cabo Verde. And, um, well, we end up now with more than 60 countries being part of the initiative, ranging from, of course, South Africa uh, to Mongolia, Vietnam, Afghanistan, uh, Canada. Well, you name it. Everyone is a part of it. And so we raised uh, over 400 million euros. Uh, so $450 million already, and that's quite amazing. And 
Um, it's of course about the funds that was uh, that we needed, but it's also about amplifying the voices of women on this issue. Um, you know, uh, you are the only one who gets to decide if you have sex, with whom you have sex, if you have children, how many, and you're the one that needs to be able to decide. And um, that's what this all about. And it's it's amazing to see how much support it got. Yeah. Well, first, I th- congratulations. I Thanks. Think it is absolutely fantastic. And in terms of, of target, you're almost, well, you're over two-thirds. Yeah. You're, you're pushing through to nearly 70% of target. Do you think that having this campaign running, having funding sourced from different environments where people are really involved in it is going to be sustainable and almost say, okay, we don't need your money, U.S. Yeah, there is, um, there's a few ways in which to get funding for these issues. One is um, we get some money from Gates. There's an anonymous donor who gave $50 million. There's governments, there's people like you and me donating whatever we can miss. And then there is the opportunity to work with governments uh, as activists and ask your own government to free up more money for these services within their national health Mm -hmm. budgets. It becomes local, becomes national. Yeah, and then it's, of course, sustainable. And this is also one of the reasons why I really wanted it to be a global movement because, I mean, here in South Africa, it's South African women and men who can hold their own government accountable. That's not up for me. And so if everyone can do that in their own in their own local or national context, that will in the end be super sustainable. Um, mm-hmm. We're not there yet, and that's okay. Well, it's a young movement. It's Yeah, it's a very young movement, yeah. But, you know, I'm very ambitious. Um, but, I mean, to be frank with you, if... If you had said to me one year ago that I would now be in South Africa, that South Africa would host the second She Decides conference, that we would have this massive support all all around the world, I would say, you know, well, thank you. Yeah, I hope it will be like that. But I don't think so. But here it is. And so um, for an initiative to take off by itself, it's very rewarding. People call me the mother of She Decides, which I think is a is a very, very nice title. And um, so I'm also happy, like, you know, mothers do, to watch out, but also to let go and uh, have it make sure that it gets its own life and where other people also can play uh, an important role. Movements are important, but keeping the momentum to sustain them I think is almost more important than starting I would agree, it. yeah. What do you think needs to happen to keep the energy? Well, the thing is, um, this question, of course, was one that I also asked myself last year. How can we keep the momentum? Um, and in a way, it's women all around the world who have made, have made sure that there is this momentum. So there's young activists from the Philippines who speak out during radio shows like this one who speak out uh, in in youth clubs there's uh, the Belgium uh, deputy prime minister who takes every opportunity to talk to, to talk about she decides 
So it's really, I would say, responsibility of everyone who feels part of the movement to keep it going. Um, we also, someone, um, a civil servant in the Netherlands, came up with this great idea to have a She Decides Day. So March the 2nd is the She Decides Day. And on that day, there were events all around the world, uh, as you already mentioned, from Mumbai to Amsterdam, from uh, Johannesburg uh, to uh, Dakar. And and I think uh, if if a movement is strong, then it 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 gets uh, the momentum that it really needs, and it's us that keep it going. Yeah, mm. but I agree. Uh, if it's only a one-time shot, it still can be relevant. Uh, but for women to be able to decide for themselves is something that you know, it's a it's a human right. But we're not there yet, so it needs to be continued. Ambassador Hurt, you raised a, a point when we were talking about what could benefit women most in the future, and you, you spoke about equality, but you also spoke about education. And I'm a great believer that academic education is a key element for progress and development amongst women around the world. What's your opinion on this? And also, do you think that education helps trigger women to take a more active role in society as they become aware of the injustices around them because previously they may have just accepted things as, as being the norm because they didn't know any better. But by now having learnt and understood or been exposed to, to different experiences. Yes, no, absolutely. I think that's key. I think if, if women, uh, if they study, if they have good education, um, uh, there's also good professional careers. And I think if there are more women in, um, in boardrooms, if there are more women in parliament, in government, um, it, it's good to have them in the networks because I think if you don't have them in the networks, it's also more difficult for women to enter. Uh, so I, I very much believe in that. And also I think because we are educators of our own children. So if you're educated, there's only other thing that you pass on to your children, I think. And you also broaden their view on the world. So I think it's absolutely key. Make sure that kids and boys and girls, that they do get the, the, the right uh, education, absolutely. And that aspect of education is not just about the material you learn in books. It's also about the behavioral components on how you can ensure that your children are going to behave appropriately so men are going to have respect for women mm -hmm. in their future yeah. lives as opposed to um, being in a cycle of, of yeah. violence and, and not no, behaving accordingly. No, I, I think our parents, I mean, I just listened to your story, how your mm. parents were so yeah. important for you. Yeah. I think my mom was also very, and my dad as well, but my mom especially, I think, because she was, uh, she was a social worker mm -hmm. And when she got married, she was working for the social service of Amsterdam in the city of Amsterdam. And when she got married, she got fired. Yeah. Because in those days, in the 50s, as a woman working for government, as soon as you got married, you got fired. Because you were you were stealing the job of a man in that in in the yeah, reasoning who had that to time. provide for his family. 
who had to provide for his family. We're sorry. So, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry to shock you. Yeah. Yes, and so was my mom. So she did find another career somehow, but that kind of anger that she felt, you know, I think she, she really encouraged me to make sure, get your education, you know, love men, please do, but don't be dependent on them. Make sure that you are independent and, and that you find your own way. So I think for me, my mom has been very important and I could, and listen to you, that also yeah. your parents. They, they, they were, yeah. Yeah, so in that sense, I think, you know, if, if the, the girls of today are the moms of tomorrow. Yeah. And the same exactly. with the boys and the dads. So education is key. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. Today, we're talking to Ms. Lillian Plumen, a Dutch politician with the Labour Party, currently serving as a Member of Parliament in the Netherlands. She was the former Minister of Foreign Trade and Development Cooperation of the Netherlands and is founder of She Decides. We're also talking to the Ambassador of Netherlands to South Africa, Ms. Marissa Gerrits. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. You are listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. Today, we're talking to Ms. Lillian Plumen, a Dutch politician with the Labour Party, currently serving as a Member of Parliament in the Netherlands. She was the former Minister of Foreign Trade and Development Cooperation of the Netherlands and is founder of She Decides. We're also talking to the Ambassador of Netherlands to South Africa, Ms. Marissa Gerrits. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. There's been lots of movements that have happened in recent years. Uh, we've spoken about She Decides. One of the others is He for She, so established by, by the UN, which invites people around the world to stand together to create bold and visible change for gender equality. And what I liked about it was that it's actively approaching men to stand up. And I think part of the challenge is that the struggle for women's rights has always been around a struggle for women by women, and it hasn't been inclusive enough. How do you think we can create mass influence around men in the world to bring about more change? The movement has to be more inclusive in the future. Um, of course, if you struggle, you first have to struggle with the, the people that you feel safe with, that you feel are your... Uh, are your friends uh, and your allies and but we're ready of course uh, to engage men and so there's the he for she campaign inviting also global leaders to speak out uh, male leaders to speak out for uh, women's uh, equality and then you see more and more programs in the social domain in many countries that are uh, targeting women and men and so, for example, also the She Decides campaign that stands for the rights of women to decide for themselves, um, there's a lot of men who are involved, uh, sometimes because they're doctors or nurses, uh, but sometimes because they're activists and they do understand that um, if, if women and men are equal, the world will be a better place. And so it's true, um, the movement has to be inviting, on the other hand, um, 
I would encourage everyone of goodwill to say, hey, I want to join and I want to do, do my part. What I really thought was impressive here in South Africa, in your own country, is a not in my name, where the man went to the streets and said, listen, some of the things that are happening here, it's not in my name that men are doing this. So I, I thought it was also something very powerful. It is very powerful yeah. because I think that, and you, you're so right, that we end up stereotyping yeah. and yeah. blanketing blame yeah. across everyone. But there are a lot of good, honest men who love their daughters, love their wives, love their families, and want them to excel and be the best and yeah. protect them. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. There's also been the Me Too movement, um, which MP Pluman mentioned earlier, Time's Up, which is publicizing sexual harassment and many, many actresses have confessed to be victims of harassment. What do you think about these campaigns in terms of being harmful or helpful to advancing women's progress? I think the campaigns are very helpful. Helpful. Yeah, because they, they take away uh, the, the shame and from the woman and put, it, put the blame on men. Um, I was quite shocked that um, in the media industry uh, there are men who really misuse their power over young actresses or performers uh, to sexually harass and intimidate, intimidate and sometimes even rape them. And so um, for women to, to have to be so silent about this for many years, I mean, these are world-famous actresses who did not dare to speak up. And I, I do think it's helpful. Um, it's helpful because it helps women who had to go through such an experience. It's empowering because the message of the Me Too movement is, you know, I'm not going to go through this again. And you, my sister, you also do not have to go through to this again. And it helps uh, others to be more alert on what they see or what they think they see and what they maybe should report or just, you know, reflect on. Uh, so in a sense, I think for everyone, including me, I mean, of course, I'm, I try to be as alert as possible, but I might have missed something. And so the Me Too movement really encouraged us to to look into how the difference in, in how the difference in, in power and how a wrong power balance, what that creates. And so if we have more powerful women, we will have less need for a Me Too movement. But as, as it is now, we do need it. Yeah. One of the things that struck me that was how quickly it happened, how quickly it gained momentum. What do you think was the reason for igniting it so rapidly? I think because it happened so much. I think so many women recognize this. You know, and it, it goes from jokes that are not funny yep. up until the, the you know mm -hmm. the, really raping uh, women, and it, it's it's in the workplace. I mean, that's what we're talking about, and it's about power. And we were just talking about the fact that it's so unequal, you know, in the workplace because top positions are mainly filled by men. So I think it went so rapidly because so many uh, women recognized it, and so many men got maybe also a little uncomfortable on hmm. I think it was very good. I think it is very good. Also to make sure that we all know what is acceptable and what is not. There Let's discuss go. it. Yep. Let's discuss it. Yep. You know, and, and maybe men and women look upon it a little differently. And I think that discussion is very, very helpful. 
Yeah, but it seemed to have opened the door. And as you said, this has been happening for many, many, many years in an industry. And I don't think that uh, the media industry is unique. No, absolutely. Probably not. No, I think it's in, in every workplace and everywhere where, you, where the difference in power is, is too big or too, um, things happen, it seems. I mean, I cannot imagine why you would do something like that, but, but there are men out there who are ready to misuse their, their influence and their power. And so uh, the conversation, like uh, the ambassador said, is, is as important as, as the call, so to say. Because um, so some men would say, you know, are we not even allowed to, you know, flirt or... Yeah, of course. I mean, I love flirting myself. But that is really a different thing from, you know, moving into my private space and touching me uh, in a way that I, is really not appropriate. And I think if you do something like that, if you touch another person, a woman, in a way that is inappropriate, you, n you just know that you're doing it. I mean, you just know it. And so um, that's why I think men should also really look at their own behavior. And, and women uh, hopefully are empowered now to say, you know, please do not do that. I don't like it. Um, so um, I do hope that that will be the longer term impact of the Me Too movement. Good. Well, I think that anything that is moving progress forwards and helping advance woman's story is good. Ambassador Kerritz, I've known you since you arrived in South Africa and you've connected women from all sectors of society. And just last night you hosted some of what I call South Africa's living legends. So from Sophie de Brain to Gertrude Schoppe to Bridget Mabandla, Lindiwe Mabuza, etc. Et they are ultimately South African female stalwarts and importantly from the Malibongwe conference which happened 28 years ago. Also you'd managed to gather ministers from Denmark, from Norway, from Finland to name a few. And everybody has bought into campaigns like the She Decides campaign at this level uh, and supports them. How do you think we can really and truly direct that energy and the change and drive it into grassroots movements so that we, we see a difference and an impact on ordinary women. Mm -hmm. Make sure, I think, also that these women meet each other. Um, and you also need a little time to do that, mm. I think. Yeah. And so I think it was a good start yesterday. It was good to have people from different parts of society because what we tried to do yesterday was, was both to connect the north and the south but also the grassroots and the women in power, the ministers, the vice ministers, the MPs as well, uh, but also young and, and, and the elderly, you know, the, the, the wisdom, but also the energy and the creativity. And I think just one meeting of two hours is not enough to really do something about that. So I, I think we will we will need to follow up meeting and get the young uh, female leaders as well, because I saw some very impressive female leaders in the student movement, for example, but also in civil society, also in the townships. You see very strong young women, and we're going to find them, and we'll make sure that they talk to one another, because I, I thought also, I, I don't know, I think it was Glingiewe uh, Mikiza who said it. She said that in the struggle uh, and in exile, there was so much international contact between the women of South Africa 
and the women in other parts of the world, but also the man, you know, the man mm-hmm. and the women. And she said, sometimes I'm, I'm so sorry for the younger generation because they don't have that opportunity as we did. So that was also something that made me think on how can we as embassies also make sure that also the younger women get in touch with other ideas and with international movements. And so I think it was the first of a few more to follow. I think that maybe there's an opportunity here for other talk programs and yes. dialogues of of bringing those generations together and looking at the Let's see, you news. have six microphones here. <laughs> Shall we make a deal? And we, get we, a have, we have call-in lines too. Oh, oh so let's have a few of the legendary women here and, and a few of the young student leaders. And, and I would love to be maybe the fly on the wall where you have your program. But let's bring them together. Well, you are certainly the connector. (laughs) We are unfortunately running out of time today. I would have loved to have had more opportunities to engage further. But if I can ask you, as we close out, if you can give us a few words or your message for Women's Day. So firstly, to you, MP Plumen. Celebrate. Uh, Celebrate uh, what we have achieved over the past decades and celebrate uh, the right that we have to speak out and um, take the opportunity to speak out on the causes that you want to fight for. It's an international women's day. It's an international movement. And so I will be in Groningen in the Netherlands, um, but also thinking about, you know, um, all the women around the world who are in solidarity. So it'll be a great day. And from you, Ambassador Geld? I'm going to quote now my uh, my role model, uh, my former minister, uh, MP, member of parliament, and my friend, Lilian Plumen. Stand up, speak out, and reach out. And also reach out to men, I think, yep. to men and women. Stand up, speak out, and reach out. And reach out. Fantastic. Thank you both for joining us today and sharing your perspectives on International Women's Day. Thank you. Thanks. I would like to wish everyone a happy Women's Day and to use the words of a legend who we celebrate his 100th birthday during 2018, Nelson Mandela, who was also a great feminist. And to borrow from one of his Women's Day speeches back from 1996, he said, as long as outmoded ways of thinking prevent women from making a meaningful contribution to society, progress will be slow. As long as the nation refuses to acknowledge the equal role of more than half of itself, it is doomed to failure. With those words, I hope that we can all press for progress, as indicated by International Women's Day 2018 theme. Motivate, unite with friends, colleagues and communities to think, act and be gender inclusive. Happy Women's Day. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Miss Lillian Plumen, a Dutch politician with the Labour Party, currently serving as Member of Parliament in the Netherlands. She was the former Minister of Foreign Trade and Development Cooperation of the Netherlands and founder of She Decides. Also in our panel has been the Ambassador of the Netherlands to South Africa, Miss Marissa Herots. Thank you.